the word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. It says, And Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Joseph gave to his son, that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was wearied from his journey, and so he sat by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, sir, give me this water so that I may not thirst nor have to come here to draw again. Let's pray. Oh God, your never failing love sets all things in order, both in heaven and earth. Remove from us all things that would hurt us and give us all things which would profit us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, we pray. Amen. You know the importance of water. Without water, there is no life. And it's funny, um, if you catch much of the scientific news and what's going on and space discovery and everything. Scientists claim that if we find water somewhere, then we certainly will find life. Life nowadays, as well as life in the ancient world, is always associated with water, and water, conversely, is always associated with life. You can't live without it. You can live longer without food than you can without water. And water and life 
are a couple of themes that John weaves into the tapestry of his gospel, all throughout his gospel, from the very beginning all the way through the very end. You've got these two themes along with several others woven into this story that he is telling of the good news of Jesus. Water satisfies. If you've ever been parched, if you've ever been just exhausted, if you've ever had that bad case of dry mouth, you know that water satisfies. You may not even want water. Water's a funny thing like that. You know, we, we are surrounded by soft drinks and sweet teas and OJs and AJs. What do they call apple juice AJ? You know, it's, it's, a, it's just as common of a name or nickname as OJ, I guess. We're surrounded by all these possibilities of, do I want milk, do I want chocolate milk, strawberry milk, maybe dulce de leche milk. You may not want the water, but if you're really thirsty and you get a cup of, of nice cold water, I don't know about you, I try to get them to hold the ice. I like it cold, but I don't want, I want the ice. It takes up too much space. I'm telling you, you get about halfway into that glass and you, you begin thinking about the second glass. You just want another one. Because water has, has an ability to satisfy our thirst like nothing else can. Another thing that water does is it saturates. Everything around it seems to get soaked. It, you know, living with kids and living with six kids, it's, it's odd the amount of spills that can take place in a single day. And it's amazing how a like half of a cup of water, and we're talking about a half of a kid's cup, so maybe a fourth or a third of a cup of water, that, like something you would typically have, that thing spills and the water is absolutely everywhere. You're bringing in bath towels and beach towels trying to get the water all absorbed up and everything is just soaked because water saturates. Some of you know that just a week and a half ago, our family took a couple of days down to Tybee Island and we spent a few days at the beach. And as I spent a couple of days down there, we did an awful lot of stuff with the family, but uh, uh, we did a lot, of, a lot of cooking, a lot of eating, but we spent a lot of time just down at the beach, playing in the sand, playing, building sand castles and finding shells. It was really odd. One afternoon, it was on Imogene's birthday. Aiden said he was going to go down to the water and find Imogene some really pretty shells. And he comes up out of the water with a, a huge, fully intact conch shell. Jan's seen it. She's seen the, seen the evidence. He just comes walking out of the water with his conch shell. You know, normally you find them broken in half and you maybe get the end and you know what it was. This is a full thing. And he says, yeah, I found Imogene a birthday present. He sets it down. He says, I'm going to go get another one. He comes back with another one. It, this one's not, not as big. It's smaller, but it's a fully intact one. Beautiful. We, we did a lot of things that you typically associate with going to the beach. We, we, our feet were in the sand uh, a lot. In fact, the house that we stayed in was called Toes in the Sand. And, of course, I made some corny jokes all throughout the week about having our toes in the sand. But um, we just relaxed and spent, uh, spent a couple of days together or a few days together. 
and slowed down. And as I spent time out on the beach, and I spent an awful lot of time out in the water with, with the kids, and something, a couple of things struck me. A couple of thoughts saturated my mind while down at the ocean. One of those thoughts was the relentlessness of the ocean's beauty and power. It was like being a kid again. You just couldn't get enough of those beautiful waves washing over you. I mean, they beat you around. But you couldn't get enough of it. Thankfully, you couldn't get enough of it because it couldn't get, the ocean couldn't get enough of doing it. It's relentless. Relentless power and relentless beauty. But the other thought that crossed my mind was the relentlessness of its invitation to come and enjoy. Every wave that would crest, every, every time the tide washed in and then washed back out, it was like an invitation, come and play. Come, get your feet wet. Come and be pushed around. You'll enjoy it. After three nights, we had to come back home. Back to work. Back to normal life. For me, back to the pastorate and back to the classroom. Most of you know that I've been teaching some theology and New Testament courses at, uh, at Ohio Christian University, their campus down here in Morrow, Georgia. One of the things that we wrestle with in a, in a classroom such as that, is we wrestle with the question of what is grace? We speak of grace a lot. We read about grace often in our scriptures. And we talk about it. We talk about being saved by grace through faith. But what is grace? That is a that is a profound question to ask, and that is a profound question with lots of profound implications to answer. The most common definition that we hear for that question of what what is grace is that it is the unmerited favor of God. And yes, in part, grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is a gift that God gives. In fact, the word for grace is the same word from which we get the word gift and gifted. But grace is also God's life and power, specifically His life and power that He gives to His creation, especially humankind. Grace is His his extension of Himself toward us, or His offering of Himself to us. His welcoming of us into Himself. And grace can also be seen as the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Just as the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, so also is grace not just some impersonal force. Grace is really an activity. 
the Spirit's activity in our lives and through our lives and among our lives. It is God's activity, the Spirit's activity of drawing us into the Trinitarian life of God. In John's Gospel, one of the tapestries uh, or one of the, the threads that is running through the tapestry of that Gospel is significant people that are placed in the various chapters of John's Gospel. You remember Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not just from John chapter 3. You find him showing up again later on. One of the people that is woven into this tapestry in John's Gospel is the Samaritan woman at the well. Here in chapter 4, we find just kind of a, almost an everyday type of vignette. Jesus has to go back to Galilee, and he's passing through Samaria. And he stops at the well, his disciples go into town to buy some groceries. And as he's sitting there, a woman approaches and Jesus engages her in conversation. Please give me a drink of water. What you begin to realize as the story is unfolding and as their conversation begins to, to move around a little bit is that God's Spirit is very clearly and evidently working in her life. He has been bringing her to this point in her story. He has been drawing her. He has been working in her life, though it seems to be a mess. If you read the, the entirety of the story, you realize she's got a lot of baggage. A lot of baggage. She's got a lot of complications in life. But God's Spirit has brought her to this point. To meet her Messiah. One of the things that we need to keep in mind when we think about the work of God's Spirit in us and through us is that He is already at work. It's, it is, it is a, a temptation of ours to think that if God is going to work in somebody else's life, we'd better get to work. Thinking that, and hear me out, thinking that He's not already at work. That we've got to kind of get the ball rolling. Now obviously, God works through His people. And shame on us if we're not involved in the lives of others. But what we need to bear in mind is the fact that God's Spirit is already working. He is drawing all people to Christ. 
He's at work in our lives. He's at work in our neighbor's lives just as He was at work in this Samaritan woman's life. Drawing us. And as the Holy Spirit draws us into the life of God, we should be mindful that we were made for this. St. Augustine prayed a prayer at the beginning of his confessions. He said, O Lord, you have made us for yourself. Therefore, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We have in our lives a variety of appetites. A variety of desires. Things that we want. Wants that we wish were fulfilled. And we try to fill them with a variety of things. But we have within ourselves this this whole that is filled with desire, that's filled with appetites. And in that hole in our lives, we are reminded that we were made to be filled. We were made for something more than just mere existence. We were made not just to live, but to enjoy life to the fullest. The promise of Christ, I have come that they might have life to the full. That promise meets a deep and abiding human need. We were made to be filled. And those appetites that we have in our lives, those desires that we have in our lives, and if you want to know the the appetites and desires that are highlighted in Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman, you read on and you realize, yeah, she had some desires, she had some appetites, and she's been trying to, to fill them with all manner of things, all manner of people. But God's Spirit has brought her to this point. He has drawn her into the life of God for this moment because she, like we, was made for this. And God's Spirit draws us into the life of God because there is healing in this. There is healing in the life of God. Our desire for satisfaction highlights in us our brokenness. The fact that we do live lives that are shattered. That we live lives that need to be mended. We have thirsts that we've tried to quench in wrong ways. We have appetites and desires that we've tried to meet with things that cannot meet them. And so in the life of God, His Spirit is drawing us in so that we might be fulfilled and healed.
What we find in the scriptures is that God is not only the thirst giver in our lives, He is the thirst quencher. He is the one that has placed in us desire and wants. And He is the one, the only one, who ultimately can fulfill those desires and meet those wants. It's been said countless times, there's a God-shaped hole in us. And so God's Spirit begins the work of drawing us in to the life of God. And He does it through a variety of things. Some things that we don't too much like and others that we do like. He draws us in, interestingly, through our emptiness and through our hunger, through our thirst. He draws us in. When Jesus engages this woman at the well and He asks her to give Him a drink, He begins... He begins a conversation with her about, that, that is centered around a very daily, very mundane reality that people need water. And through that fundamental reality in human life, He begins to walk her down the road of a conversation that will, that will begin addressing some of the deepest and most abiding issues in her life and any human life. He begins to appeal to her spiritual emptiness. Her spiritual hunger and thirst. We don't like to feel in need. We like to feel like we've got it all together. We like to feel like we can make all the parts fit like they ought. Our need reminds us that we lack and it reminds us that there are some things that we can't do for ourselves. Need reminds us of weakness. But every once in a while in our lives, we need to be reminded that we are weak. That we do have needs. That we can find ourselves empty and hungry and thirsty. Those are the ones that Jesus said are blessed. Blessed are you if you realize your deep need because the need can be met. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you realize you don't have it within yourself. Because that need can be met. And so through our emptiness, through our neediness, our hunger and our thirst, God's Spirit draws us Into the life of God. But he draws us also through virtue. 
We don't hear an awful lot about virtue these days. In fact, some of the virtues seem outdated and arcane and ridiculous and so 1990s. You know, people don't talk about self-control all that much anymore. Moderation. We might talk a little bit about courage. We don't talk an awful lot about faithfulness. We live in a culture that is extremely faithless and unfaithful. But through virtue, God's Spirit draws us to the triune God. When we see virtue around us, when we see virtue in our parents or in our neighbors or in our friends, when we see virtue displayed on the news and the headlines, when we see virtue in a movie, it inspires us. Virtue serves kind of as signs in our lives that invite us to a better existence, a better life. That's one of the reasons why we celebrate Memorial Day. Unfortunately, it seems that we celebrate Memorial Day because it's on the calendar and it's a day off more than when it was originally established to be a day where we honor the courage of self-givingness in military service. There's a reason why people like war movies. Not always because they're violent and we have an a, uh, insatiable appetite for violence, it seems. But we enjoy war movies because we like to see heroic deeds. Courage inspires us. It uplifts us. It gets our imagination connected with what courage looks like in the midst of difficulty. There are transcendental virtues that the church has always affirmed truth, goodness, and beauty. One of, the, one of those transcendental virtues I highlighted to the kids this morning. Todd, we really do thank you for this cross that you've built. When we see things that are beautiful, our hearts do a, a funny thing. At the same moment, they seem to be lightened, but they also seem to be heavy. Because we see something for which we were created. We were created to enjoy beauty. And we love it when we see it. But we want more of it when we see it. Through beauty, 
through truth and through goodness, God's Spirit is drawing us into His life. He draws us into the life of God through what the church calls regular means. The means of grace. These primarily are about the scriptures, the sacraments, worship, and prayer. God is drawing us through His Spirit into His life. To get out into the water of His life. To get our feet wet. To get our toes down into the sand. Notice God's Spirit draws us. He does not force us. What we're talking about with the Spirit's relentless work in our lives is invitation, not imposition. He invites, He welcomes, He draws. He whispers, come on in. You'll like it. You are made for this. There's healing here. A couple of things we come to realize when we begin responding to God's invitation. We realize first that He will be relentless. He won't stop drawing us further in. You've heard me quote before George MacDonald said, God is easy to please but hard to satisfy. Much like the ocean and its waves being relentless, relentless in their power and beauty, relentless in their invitation to come and enjoy God's Spirit when He, when we yield ourselves to His work in our lives, when we recognize within ourselves that we have a thirst that He can meet, we realize that He will be relentless. He won't stop. He'll keep inviting When Jesus told the woman at the well that if he gave her living water, that she would never thirst again, he tells her that that living water would begin to produce in her a fountain, a well springing up to eternal life. He's not telling her, oh, once you taste of this, okay, you're done. You won't need anymore. He's telling her, you won't have to keep going back for more. That thirst that you have will will be constantly met by the only thing that can meet that thirst, that can quench that thirst. It will become a fountain 
springing up. It will be relentless. The second thing that we come to realize when we begin pursuing God, when we begin opening up our lives to Him, when we begin yielding ourselves to the work of His Spirit, is that all the while that we were seeking, we're actually being sought. The Spirit is indeed the hound of heaven. In our lives, we begin looking back on how God has brought us to this point and we think about the activities that we did, the decisions that we made, the choices we made to to come here, to go there, to meet with that person. And we realize that, hey, we're seeking God. We're seeing a thirst within us. We're seeing a need within us. We're, we're, We're seeing desire that we want to be met even more. All the while, it is God who has been pursuing us. It is Him who has been following after us. It is Him who has been inviting us. We just couldn't hear His voice. See, we think we go to the beach, but what is really happening is that the beach is always there waiting and calling and inviting. Come on in. Come get your feet wet. Come and joyously be pushed around. Get your toes in the sand. The Spirit of God invites us into the refreshing waters of His grace. He invites us, come to the water that never runs dry. Our lives ought to be characterized by us saying, Lord, would you please Renew me. Would you please give me strength? Would you please refresh my soul? I'm thirsty. I'm dry. I'm empty. I need you. The text tells us that Jesus, in going to Galilee, needed to go through Samaria. Now, if you look at a map, you turn to the back of your Bibles and you got a map there and you look at the Holy Land, you realize, oh, well, of course. He's leaving Judea and he's going to Galilee. He's got to pass through Samaria on the way. Jews didn't go through Samaria to get to Galilee. They crossed the Jordan River, went through the wilderness, went northward, 
and cross back across the river in order to pass around Samaria. So as to not get the Samaritan dust on their feet. But the text tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had an appointment to keep. And lo and behold, there's this woman at the well in need of refreshment, in need of hope, in need of someone who could put life back together, in need of someone who could tell her why she has this emptiness and this hunger and this thirst in her life. He needed to go to Samaria. When it occurs to her who she's met and how miraculous this meeting has been, she goes back to the town and begins telling all of her neighbors, you've got to meet this man. I think he's the Messiah. He knew everything about me. And He's offering us renewal and refreshment. He's offering to quench the thirst of our lives. That invitation of God's Spirit to come and to find refreshment in the waters of God's grace is an invitation for us to come to the water that never runs dry. And it's an invitation to us to also help others find their way to it as well. May we, in hot pursuit, go to the one who is able to satisfy our heart's deepest longings. And may, may we take all of who we are able with us. Let's pray.